Hi folks and happy Monday. This is the podcast recorded yesterday in front of a live online audience of our Tortoise Shack members. Uh, was joined by Harry McEvan Sonia, uh, Shamim Malakman and Shauna Grant. It was a great conversation as we tend to do some of the stories of the week that, you know, maybe made the headlines and some of the ones that didn't make the headlines. Uh, particularly around the treatment of mig- migrant workers, uh, which Shamim continues to great, do great work for. Uh, I'm going to plug the Dublin Enquirer here. If you if you uh, value that type of journalism, that good reporting, uh, take out a subscription. Do support it. The Dublin Enquirer do excellent work. Uh, I'm also going to ask you to support the Tortoise Shack, the wider platform. Uh, I'm going to recommend everybody gives a listen to Martin's conversation with Brendan Ogle about their experiences of cancer. And keep an eye out this week for podcasts coming in from Denmark, from uh, Portugal, and hopefully from Colombia. And there's also potentially a good conversation happening on events uh, unfolding in Gaza. So there's plenty coming your way. All of those will be available on patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. The price of a fancy cup of coffee once a month. Uh, you get them first. You get them as quickly as I can turn them around. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome back to the Tortoise Shack Sunday special. It's good to be back. It's been a few weeks. We've had, we've been pretty busy. Uh, before we start, I do want to give a plug for Martin's conversation with Brendan Ogle. Uh, seems to have gotten uh, a l- very well re- received by our members uh, it's, and he really hates it. He hates the fact that he gave up of himself and told a little bit about his own journey with cancer and, and his experiences. So, so do listen. Um, it was, it was good to hear two, uh, two, two fellas, two, two, Famous curmudgeons, I'd say, uh, going at it. And do do give it a listen. I think it's a really, really good... Um, what do they call it? Two Crocs Sitting in the Sun. I think it's a beautiful title. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to plug it away. Anyway, enough of that. I am thrilled to be joined by... Uh, it's like putting the it's like the, the Blues Brothers putting the band back together. Um, this is uh, uh, my good friend from the Dublin Enquirer reporter, Shamim Malaknyan. Shamim, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Tony? Not too bad, not too bad, and uh, and and uh, Nuri's uh, tourist tourist agent and uh, barrister and legal legal aficionado, human rights interest, Shauna Grant. Shauna, it's been a while. How are you keeping? Yeah, Grant. Yeah, I think I can't remember uh, the last time. It was a good few months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah. Great to be back. Great to be uh, in the mix again. Oh, uh, we had we had a we we had a conversation that the last time we just couldn't make it work, but we it's nice to see you and and as usual, uh, Mister Election Projections himself, uh, our our uh, our Martin replacement curmudgeon, Harry Mac Evansonia is here. Harry, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't think I could ever try to hold a candle to Martin's level of curmudgeonliness. So no, you no, but like someone, uh, someone has to try. So appreciate it, um, Shamim. I am going to come to you first again. You continue to cover stories in the Dublin Enquirer. Do support the work, folks. I think you said. Oh, by the way, congratulations, award-winning uh, reporter. With uh, we, you did shortlisted again. Shortlisted uh, is is phenomenal. Look, it's it's much more than much more acclaimed than I'll ever get. I can tell you. Um, but you mean you were covering a story about the impact that that uh, has ha- that our asylum system is having on, for example, say taxi drivers in 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 Ireland, and how it's again it appears to be a two tier system. Do you want to just give listeners an idea of of what you what you reported on? Uh, so uh, I was looking at taxi drivers, especially because, as you know, taxi driving is very, it's easier for migrants to, especially migrant men, uh, to be taxi drivers because um, obviously uh, they can skip hiring biases and be their own bosses if their immigration stamp allows that. Um, um, for uh, in, in theory, the National Transport Authority should be in charge of issuing taxi licenses, but um, the Minister for Transport needs to make this transfer of power uh, to the to the NTA, and they hadn't done that for some reason. I don't know why, but um, bottom line is the guards are in charge of taxi licenses. Uh, so taxi licenses, if, if your listeners might not know, they should be valid for five years. So obviously, if somebody is on an immigration permission, their permission might run out at some stage. So... Um, and the law doesn't mention anything about immigration status, the law governing tax licenses. It just says give it to a suitable person and doesn't define suitable. Um, 
So what the guards were doing so far was giving people uh, the five-year license, but with conditions for them to renew it. But then at some stage, February 2020, without telling anybody, without putting a press release, they just said, you know what, we're not going to give taxi licenses to migrants on temporary immigration permissions. Um, and obviously they were refusing people on that account. So what happens is that somebody takes them to court and uh, in the uh, process of the court um, judgment, it becomes clear that they've been refusing. But the judge says you can't do that. But what you can do is you can look at uh, people in Department of Justice files and um, decide that maybe they don't have good character to be taxi drivers. And in this case, the guy was had a marriage of convenience finding under under immigration files, but this this decision wasn't final, you know. Mm. So and there'd be loads of unfinal decision on someone's immigration files and the guards can access that and just make a decision on that. And think about it that way if what, the NTA, what, yeah. Yeah, no, they shouldn't have like that's that's um surely outside of their remit. Like it's 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 interfering with with right to work uh in, in, in this in this context. And and again, it's not something that you would think should be uh at the within their within their powers, surely. Yeah, like Cahill Malone, the barrister who represented uh, this taxi driver, was saying to me that it's like when an Irish farmer wants to be a taxi driver, having sent their entire Department of Agriculture file to the guards, you know, to see if they're good character or not. So I don't know, like the lawyers might think that, yes, this is a this is a level of invasion of privacy that an Irish person wouldn't experience if they want to go for a taxi license. You know? And 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 again, like, I mean, this is just, I know every time we seem to talk about, talk, every time you come on, there's always something else. And, you know, like we were, we were all losing our minds this week about the, uh, the queues at Dublin airport and how it was taking all of these people. And yet, you know, you've been covering stories about, you know, um, migrants who, who can't even go on holidays because of their, their status has, has been impacted. And, you know, again, I hate to say it's not 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 much interest in it because they uh they're 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 not um they're not going to go on joe duffy and have a go about it you mean yeah that's very true yeah like you mentioned um department of justice currently has crazy delays for issuing residence permits and if you don't have your residence permits you can't apply for a schengen visa for example to go on a holiday to go travel across europe so it's putting people migrants in a disadvantaged position for sure I mean, like, and this is not, you know, I know in the grand scheme of things, it might sound like something small, but when we talk about, like, we've spoken about people who, you know, have family here and been told to go back to Africa because they're leaving Ukraine because because they haven't got their, their status uh, normalized in Ireland. So all of this is is of a theme. And, and it's just, again, the Department of Justice really needs to get its finger out of its arse because we're so behind on a lot of these things that there are families that are separated because of these things. And then I know, again, I don't mean to sound bad, but people are missing out on simple work trips, as, as you pointed out in one of your reports recently, where, you know, if you want to better your career and you need to go to somewhere in Lisbon to, to attend something and you can't go simply because the Department of Justice is behind on this. I mean, um, Shana, I, I don't know if you, you're, you're, you've been covering human rights and you, you've got a, a legal mind. Surely to God, we, we can do better, no? Yeah, I mean, like the... the I mean, there are several challenges at the minute um, in court up here about the British government um, because human rights is not devolved obligation in the North. But, um, you know, the right to family life is is what is one of uh, Article 7. I mean, that is that seems to be a real impediment to the enjoyment of a general family life as well as the right to, I mean, the, the right to work, as you say, as well. But also, like, and I, I, I things things all seem to boil down to like uh, right to work, but on a human level, the right to enjoy a holiday is what everybody has been talking about for the last two years. And I mean, if you're talking about like that, that to me would be an impingement on human rights of family life as well. Personally, like as well as there's multiple case law around that restriction on travels, things like that as well. I mean, you shouldn't always have to couch concerns about, um, you know migrants and and you know in terms of their economic viability and and output i mean just on a human level they should be allowed to go on holiday they should be able to go on holiday with the same i mean whether you know 
none of us, none of my, <laughs> my family are all waiting on passports. Uh, yeah. passports at the point. Um, but and I think that's indiscriminate in that application. But yeah, like from if I was to couch this, this story in, in, in a, uh, from a legal point of view, the the right to family life would be the one that I would think is, is the biggest um, uh, yeah, no, by this, you know. And 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 I just thought, like it's funny we, we mentioned the passports, and I've had personal experience recently whereby I I applied myself and I got my passport in something like uh, two and a half days it arrived, and I know someone else who's now waiting nearly six weeks. It does seem to be the system is just all over the place, and it depends on on how it's operating. Um, I do want to move on, and I do want to address some of the things that that have happened. Obviously, um, can I can I caveat this before we? Talk about that awful god god awful song that was was sung about Michael McCreevy and how and how abhorrent it was. We're always trying to say to people that if something happens in a in a community, uh, we don't anticipate asking all members of that community to apologize for it. I, I do think that that is something that 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 needs to be said because I've often mm-hmm. found, particularly like we, like we saw recently, one of my friends, uh, a member of the traveling community, got a lot of grief because of uh, a fight in Dublin Airport, and they were almost like, "Why can't you condemn it?" As if you know they speak for all travelers, and we see that in in different areas. And also, my my friends in the unionist community all did come out and condemn the bloody song. They've mm-hmm. all done that. However, Shauna, it was jarring and i know you've spoken about it on social media and and the actual what it what it says about the the idea that they they knew the words this was written this was sang along you know it wasn't just off the hoof and what it actually spoke what it said it said a lot more than than just a video showed yeah i think there's a i think if we watch uh, Dairy Girls, and we all took a lesson from Dairy Girls, is that, uh, you know, there's a lot more to life up here than that. But underpinning it all, even even the series that celebrates, you know, the frivolity of, of every normal life here, underpinning it all, there, there does have to be recognition. I saw that video and there was two. There's a real horrible dichotomy that you have and you're raised with and it, you can't help it. And it, anyone who denies having it is not telling the truth. And that you see something terrible happening, being a sectarian event or uh, violence. And the, the second, the first question is, oh, that's terrible. And the second thing you, you mentally check is who did it? And is it our side or is it them? And then there is a series of ob- subconscious kind of relief that, um, and it can be something as horrible as a murder and you do get a tiny facet of relief where you say, oh God, at least it wasn't our guys and I'm not going to have to answer for that. Um, and then you can, and, and then you hate yourself for feeling like that because that's a, that's a terrible reaction to something terrible. Um, and I saw that video and I thought, uh, I mean, the reason that they picked the naked sectarianism of it is very raw because Michaela McAreevy was not a political uh, person. She she has no profile for anything other than being the victim of a murder and being a Catholic. And the the fact that she was singled out for someone to write a song about her um, really just boils down to the fact that they hate her just because she's Catholic. There was nothing that she did or said. And the, um, that's what's really cutting through the noise about this more so than any other uh, more so than most events that has been like Jim Allister c- condemned it. I mean, if, if you, you get into the height of, of kind of opposite spectrums of opinion, from, um, but they, there's a difference in up here in terms of sectarianism that is covered in the media. A lot of sectarianism is covered in centers around the cities mm-hmm. where this happened was in and around Portadown, which for when I was raised, we we never went there because that was part of a triangle of very dangerous um, activity whereby um, we we would have called it the murder triangle because in that area it's 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 rural raw sectarianism where there's a lot there's a lot of division in cities, but in the rural areas the division is complete because you're in villages and towns that are almost completely one identity and completely the other, whereas you have interface areas in, in cities and things like that and in that area you're in an echo chamber and though that lodge although uh, uh, the orange order has come out and said it's not condoned you know you can see in the video that it's 
it's well-known song. I mean, mm. and the first few bars, it's like whenever you hear by a lonely prison wall and then you start and everyone kind of rolls their eyes in the bar. And then by the third verse, verse, everybody is, you know, on the tables and you can sort of hear, you can see the flicker of recognition. That's what I, I, I shouldn't have watched it over and over again, but it was hard not to indulge in it. And you see the flicker of recognition as it ripples through the room. And the, you know, that's what, that's what was um, frightening. But I worked in Newry as a waitress for a long time during a lot of Orange Order parades opposite the courthouse that I went and practiced in. So, um, but there was an awful lot of South Armagh lodges that um, would have had their marches through Newry and would have stopped in, in Edinburgh. And you overhear an awful lot. And um, I'm not surprised. I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised, if you know what I mean, by, by what I saw. And there's a, uh, there's an awful lot of work to do um, in terms of the depth of the, uh, the depth of the bitterness. I think a lot of people don't fully understand outside of here the depth of the bitterness. Um, and I'm at loathe to say on both sides because I want to get away from this, like, we can just talk about this incident as it's on its, on its head. I mean, I was on a discussion yes last on Friday night and someone asked me to condemn the GAA for having um, grounds named after IRA members. And I just refused to engage in that conversation because you'll hear no bigger critic of, of kind of the GAA having played in it for a long time myself in loads of different assets. But we need to move away from oh, well, yes, let's let's call out all, let, let's, we need to, if we're going to deal with this, we need to be able to deal with incidents as they happen and not have to uh, condemn random other things. It's happening today and I knew as sure as day follows night, you get a terrible incident, you get condemnation. And then two days later, when, you know, the focus of outsiders has gone away. You get back into the entrenched. Well, what about this video from 2019? Yeah. And what about this? And and that feel and that all that does is give comfort to the to the people who are hurt because the communities that are hurt are the ones that are the target, and then the ones that have to condemn. And then what you do is you settle back into the bomb of your own knowledge that there are others on the other side that are just as bad, and then mm. nothing ever has to change. I think actually it's a really good summary because, you know, speaking to people in, in both communities the last few days again, and I want uh, the what about re, uh, does creep through. It always comes in and people have to, we have to be very cognizant of it, but it was still, uh, you know, I did, I obviously it was a shocking video, uh, but it wasn't that surprising in some ways that there, there was that level of, of vitriol in, in, in certain, in certain areas. I mean, it is, it, and again, I don't want the both sides. I don't want to do what about re, but there's a there's a lot of road that needs to be needs to be covered. I mean, we've had a lot of talk of um, you know, the the recent result uh, election results and whether you know the Sinn Fein first minister and what what was Mary Lou being triumphalist when she spoke about a border poll and all of these things. You know, um, what messages were being sent to to different communities so it's all it's it's all very difficult and, and it does feel even me talking now feels like i'm trying to walk on on eggshells you know yeah it, it does feel very much like that um harry can i come to you though uh because it's it's quite it's quite funny that um we've had this conversation in uh, over this video that, that we that we're talking about and that happened through the prism of the, the queen's Jew. Believe, and then today we see that the opinion polls come out and um, Sinn Fein up three, Fine Gael down one. But yet we seem to how force the Queen into the uh, into the into the discourse by asking this off the off the cuff question about who is the most popular leader. Now you made a very interesting comment on Twitter, T tongue in cheek. I, I I agree, but I just thought it was funny saying publish which uh, who who likes the Queen by party because we'd like to see where where. Uh, uh, Sinn Féin voters put the Queen ahead of Leo Varadkar. Um, it, it was an interesting way of uh, shoehorning in the Jubilee into uh, into Irish politics. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things I, I think that, honestly, sometimes I think like newspapers just do this just 
for a laugh because they know something will come out of it. It will either be, oh, Irish people like the Queen way more than you might think, or Irish people really hate the Queen. So it's a guaranteed headline no matter what comes out of it. And it's just commissioned into those polls for essentially a bit of stir a bit of controversy, a bit of trolling at the time, basically. And I will say, having thought about it a bit more, uh, well, I said, you know, and I still do want to see whether or not Sinn Féin voters dislike Varadkar or the Queen more. I actually also want to see now whether or not Fine Gael voters like Varadkar or the Queen more, because I suspect there's a bit of a, a bit of an imbalance between the two parties in terms of the view of the British monarchy. But um, I do think, to be honest with you, it, it is interesting. And I do wonder if before we had all this kind of, you know, royal visits that we've had over the last few years, this kind of very, um, uh, you know, this uh, sort of attempt at a very visible, very visual reconciliation at the highest levels of the Irish state, uh, sorry, of the British state with the highest levels of the Irish state into a sort of a normalization of relationships happening in a very, very public way. I think we might have got a very different answer to this question if this had happened like 10 years ago and we hadn't had so much effort be expanded into, expended into um, seeing the you know, the British royal family and the Queen, well, the Queen in particular, I think probably slightly different, uh, as being kind of non-threatening and detached from the history of, um, you know, the history of these two islands. And look, you can say, I can understand there's a reasoning behind it, the idea of like kind of moving on and so on. But I also do think there's a sort of an illusion of the history and what the British crown stands for. And the fact that you can sort of separately separate the Queen as is right now from the entire history and baggage that comes from that, I think is probably a little uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I think is probably moving us a little too far without that, because I think Britain has never really had a reckoning about how it behaved in Ireland, to be honest with you, in a lot of ways. And I think kind of us being, uh, or sort well, leading elements of the Irish state falling over themselves to try and normalize this without ever looking for that is problematic. And I think probably ties into an extent with how poor we are on this side of the border in talking about how things happen in the North for a variety of different reasons. Um, but I think that's probably a factor in them. So look, on the one hand, yeah, it's a bit of fun. It's silly. It's fun to say, oh, look, the Queen is more popular than all our political leaders. Ha ha, isn't this, isn't this wacky? Um, but I do think there's something underpinning it that is a little strange to me. Um, and I, I probably haven't articulated it super well because you know. I'm no, I think I think <laughs> but, uh, I think I think you've covered like it quite there. well. I do think there's also an element of, you know, isn't it funny how we can talk about the Queen and 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 like the, in that context, and yet we we in in the South failed failed to talk about the history of the last 100 years and on on how maybe we treated the 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 statelet that was the north you know and and it's it's funny we can we try to see it through that prism but we 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 want to kind of skip over the things that Shauna was talking about a few minutes ago that the need to to actually uh have a truth and reconciliation process to have that those things and actually uh, actually look at them Shauna, i know when you came on you thought you thought it was quite uh amusing just before we came on but it 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 does say something that um that this was the this was how it was framed this weekend, especially in given the context now that uh, you know Sinn Fein have effectively just have won the, the election in in the north and now are the, the largest party consistently in the south. Yeah, I mean I've seen uh, actually discourse this morning about that, um, saying how uh, if you, Michelle O'Neill um, wrote a piece, did you see anyone see it about the jubilee and? You know, yeah. welcoming and saying she admired the Queen for various reasons. I I don't hold I really genuinely don't uh harbour any views about the monarchy from a nationalist point of view. It's more purely from a socialist point of view that I just I fundamentally don't understand any kind of not not even allegiance, but like admiration, good or bad. I feel like you know, one of the worst things that, you know, someone you're interested in could say to you is that I feel nothing. And that, that's honestly what I when I think of the Queen, I think of, you know, I don't see. And I find that flabbergasting that 50 percent of respondents could feel in any way. And that's not even in comparison to Fine Gael or, you know, irrespective of, you know, dislike for Veracca, dislike for Michael Martin, dislike for Mary MacDonald. Um, I just it. I'm flabbergasted that people could say, uh, you could even be, could even be, think of saying, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I do think the Queen is, is a good leader from somebody who, uh, you know, has been symbolic, not through her own hand, because her, her role is so symbolic and has no, uh, you know, it's really nothing active. But what she symbolises for me, because... Mm. 
you know, a few miles up the road, what she symbolizes for me and the union, like if you look at the celebrations, it's, un- it's Union Jack or Union flag heavy, it's red, white and blue, it's all, you know, and I don't have an aversion to that. But for me, a lot of that sim- pageantry is, is mimicking what I see the, tw- the 12th every year. Mm. Uh, and for me, that's the time when I have to go on holiday. You know, and that's I spent I worked two 12th of July's in Belfast and they are absolutely bananas. Like, I don't think anyone could really understand what that is like. And yet it's normal that the atmosphere is that uh, I I went to see two of the parades. I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to look at these parades. I'm going to be the person that I want this society to be. And within four footsteps from my work up Donegal Pass, two fellas walked past. And I do think I was walking about with my friend Aoife like this, kind of like looking at everything. And they said, um, two, four fellas walked towards us and said, um, them four, them two is Catholics. And like, and we, I think it was the sense of wonder on our face that we weren't walking about like revolted because that wouldn't be a safe thing to do apart from anything else. So the, the, the flags and the pageantry and the the kind of and the fact that fifty percent of people could could be ambivalent to that and not make those connections mm. to what that is, I don't know, and I don't expect them to be revolted by the twelfth or revolted by that imagery. I just I don't understand. Uh, uh, can I can I come in and just say one thing that was quite funny in a dark way was the the credit the Queen got for recording this uh, video with Paddington Bear. You know, I don't know if anybody's seen this, this short video. And someone, you know, very quickly pointed out that um, the Queen was the person who signed off on um, Pretty Patel's uh, laws that that basically meant that that should Paddington be a 13 year old boy, he'd be flown now off to Rwanda and told that he's not welcome uh, under under the the new um refugee laws you know it, it's kind of like again i accept that she's a figurehead and i accept that that's the but that's really but it's also qu- kind of um you know we, we have to be honest about it and there was also a, a really good one i don't know if anybody else saw it where people going through the doors of tesco's there were signs everywhere for her her majesty jubilee and in the corner there was a a, a food donation <laughs> bank yeah I mean, this is this is and we're not much better, I have to be honest, um, when it comes to some of these things, you know, I mean, we see our own uh, all week. I've been hearing about the economy is booming 11 percent growth the first quarter, fastest growing economy again in the EU. Well, first or second at the moment, uh, Fine Gael put a video up, Harry, you might have seen saying we've reached full employment, um, all of, you know, all of these things. And then I'm talking to Don O'Leary last night from the Cork Life Centre, and he can't get funding to um, to to pay his teachers, and is talking about how many students, what classes he may have to to, to get rid of. So instead of you know providing first to sixth year, he might have to only provide after junior cert level. So it, the whole thing is a bit toxic. Um, and, and then again, and then Shamim, to come to you, you probably then see this then and go and. As the as this all filters down, the the migrant community are sitting there watching this going. Uh, well, we're we're like the test center. You went out to um what was going on in City West recently, didn't you? To see the to to see the the how it's been input and the differences of treatment. Like, what was that like? So, so I went. I just want to clarify that I went out of a tweet that was sent out by abolished direct provision and saying. People are being segregated uh, in terms of black and white. So I just wanted to see what was going on. When I went there, my um, my impression is that and the department also then a day later kind of confirms me that um, temporarily people are put in a convention center in the City West uh, Hotel. And while I was there, I talked to a man who was from... Um, he was from an African country and he was an asylum seeker. And he didn't say, he like, it's it, the fact, it's not true. I can't say that it's true that people are being treated differently, put in places differently based on being black or white or whatever. But the fact is that, yes, um, Ukrainians know that there is certainty about their future. Ukrainians know that there's temporary protection for them in place, but others don't know. Um, but uh, the whole misinformation, asylum misinformation is being sent out. I don't know why it's being done. And uh, it's just very baffling for me why people are doing it. And I don't think, I don't think it's good because we have people 
in the International Protection Office looking at this and kind of saying, oh, yeah, you know, we knew asylum seekers are all liars, you know. Yeah, and and it's and and it like it's tough enough without actually um, causing how do I put this um, issues that fight, fighting battles that we don't need to fight because there are all there are huge problems with our asylum system as you as your reporting always points out we don't need to uh, to con- concoct new ones but there were you know there are things that that need to be done better and you're you're right to point out the certainty that if you arrive in. As a Ukrainian um, refugee, you know the entitlements you have are not the same as if you arrive in from uh, Libya or or if you're fleeing Syria or any of these places. Um, Harry, can yeah. I? Sorry, can I come back to you on on the polls themselves? Because it, this is now and this is the first one. I think I'm right in saying that if you add up, you know, Sinn Fein and 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 other, they're there, Harry. Yeah, well, I think that this is always a problem with, with with raw with raw numbers. Um, adding them up, like, because I, I know they also, as part of this poll, they also asked, like, it was I think Sinn Fein plus Sock Dems, Labour, Greens versus Finnegan for the Fall Greens. It was like forty four, forty two in favour of the former, which is all very, very fine margin stuff. And how that translates into seats is is really questionable. What is notable is that this is now all four pollsters. Um, so that's now uh, was that Ireland thinks so that's already going like BNA. Red Sea and Ipsos all already had Sinn Féin at either the highest or second highest point they've ever recorded them this month. Um, so that in of itself is significant. There is still, uh, the, the numbers are still rising, albeit slowly. Um, but that's like pretty significant that all four of them have them at kind of a peak point at this stage. I think we are seeing a result of a lot of look dissatisfaction. We can see the numbers that have been done on polling around housing recently in particular and cost of living indicating that's a huge problem for people. And I think people are looking for part of it is what Sinn Féin are offering and part of it is people are just looking for an alternative at this point because Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have failed to resolve any of this. Um, and we are seeing like if you look at if you go into the numbers you can see there are people moving from Fine Gael to Sinn Féin which is mad in some ways but also makes sense when it's not a ton of people but what does make sense when people are like look my my well-being is threatened. The government is doing nothing. These are this is the only viable alternative. So I might as well go and vote for them. And you see that even with the decline in uh, Fine Gael support among the ABC One income brackets and the in- rise in Sinn Fein. Sinn Fein are now ahead of Fine Gael among ABC Ones, which has not happened before. Which, which is, which is something. Can, can I say that's something you pointed out a few months ago was was on the curve and on its way to happening. To give you a little bit of credit, it's not often I'm nice to you. Uh, well, look, I mean, it wasn't that hard. I'd look at the graph and be like, well, that line's going down, that line's going up. If they keep going, they're going to cross at some point. But like that kind of thing is hugely significant. It indicates there's been a, there's, there is being a, a substantial change in how people are looking at things. And in, it, it speaks to how much I think people are just looking for an alternative. And if Sinn Fein are able to, uh, and, you know, I believe that they will in some way be part of the next government if they are able to deliver on that that's a potential for a sea change and there's an awful lot of things that could happen between now and then there's an awful lot of things that could go wrong for Sinn Féin in government but I think we are seeing a genuine movement of people who are just looking for them to them as the viable alternative whereas previously they may have bounced between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Yeah I, and, and actually it's it's a really good point because it needs to be stressed they're talking about 11% growth in the in the economy this in the first quarter uh, we're talking about GDP, but if you strip out the multinationals and the and our entire system, we're actually almost in recession, folks. We're at it. We're at, we have a minus figure recorded. Uh, I think in two of the three months, all you need is one more month, and and you you meet the definition for it. For so your domestic economy is pretty close to a recession. Uh, and you know we've seen the Bank of England warn about recession. We've seen the US, and we've seen inflation running at insane, insane numbers. And the government that has said, and this is what what I really want to get into the meat of this. Our government, I know, I know in the UK, Sean, they've actually spoken about doing a windfall tax on on energy providers, okay. and, and which is which is which is welcome. But we've 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 seen the situation where they said they won't do anything until the budget, uh, the, the upcoming budget. And with the caveat all that, we're all week, we're still hearing we have to join an EU army or, or some form of NATO. And that requires 2% of spending. Um, and that's about 8 billion a year. <laughs> and 8 billion a year would be enough to tackle, according to the ESRI, our housing um, situation in Ireland, because they said 7 billion will get that done. I mean, Shauna, you you uh, you must sit there and think to yourself, you know, all this talk of um, border polls. I wouldn't want to join a, uh, with, with a country that has a million people on waiting lists for hospitals and a housing crisis like that. Well, actually, I'm, I'm working on uh, 
one of the things I do work on is a all Ireland uh, healthcare provision and you know, kind of working through because there's a lot of talk about border polls, but the meat and bones of it is very, very. Uh, but um, I did, Harry, just as you're saying about people moving from Fine Gael to uh, Sinn Féin, I had a laugh in the Belfast, Belfast East. There was 32 voters that went from TUV to Sinn Féin. So, um, yeah. So we got to we, we got to get those 32 people out <laughs> yeah. for a few points. I want a podcast that would, I want an episode that would. Yeah, be, yeah. Uh, also, a I very, mean, very, very meaningful number as well. There, having thirty-two of them. Thirty-two, yeah. <laughs> so that the irony wasn't lost on anybody. But I mean, the people who who thought, you know, Jim, their their transfers went this because um, system's great for watching patterns and transfers and people like you're saying, people who want to change. You can see uh, where your transfers go. You know, talking about looking for an alternative. So a lot of alliance transfers went down the politician fan and, and and vice versa, and um, you know. But in terms of uh, looking for a sea change, and, and I mean, you talk about the windfall tax, but we can't access the windfall tax because we don't have Stormont up and running again. So the, the dividend from that might might not reach us. Um, though um, there, there might be, Westminster might work ways around that. But uh, in terms of uh, the hospital um, I, the housing crisis is rampant and I was uh, definitely didn't move home to Dublin because of it but I suppose the healthcare system is something I know a bit more about uh, and the, uh, I mean there is uh, significant issues with the uh, the waiting list times um, and I, I do know that we leveraged case we were doing research for the um judicial review being heard at the minute and that the waiting list crisis up here is is, is so bad that um it's it's a breach of the uk's obligations under human rights um the human rights obligations in the yeah in the north because um waiting lists are so much worse for things like orthopedic surgery here than they are in england wales and scotland uh and so while i i do hear the uh kind of somewhere lie in the middle of oh well, well if we get a UI we'll have it all island NHS and everything will be fine and uh, but then I speak with practitioners and people who work within the, this the system in the south and I know that the challenges within within that I mean Sandra Care where has that gone um already oh it's you know, been it's been told it's been told to stay uh, like was we have we missed I think last week was the five year anniversary of the five year anniversary of the first of the first thing getting missed you know it's it's something yeah. mm-hmm. something phenomenal mm-hmm. like that but, yeah um, yeah and um, uh, you know and the maternity like uh, one thing I would say is though the mater- national from an I from listening from my years of kind of being somewhere in this Venn diagram the national maternity hospital discourse is so alien you know to hear uh uh, you know that the that church involvement on church land was leasing, and you know even from a, the only thing that was you know that is utterly bananas for from an NHS here to hear that you know uh, that about leasing and the church and and private healthcare groups and I mean there's it's a huge to us to, to us I say us up up here that's a mess like that is. Our mess is terrible, but it's simple. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it is. It is mad to think. You know, we we literally shrugged our way through um, a a hospital on uh, that's not on state land ultimately, and and still, you know, things can change in the background. It's it is it is crazy to think that we just shrugged our way through that and 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 let it go. Um, I I just want to cover a few things because I'm conscious of time. I don't know if anybody was aware, but the the first missiles fell on on Kiev overnight for the first time in in about six seven weeks, which is not a not a um, not not something that is uh, how do I put this? Speaking to people on the ground, they they believe it's it's some sort of reaction just on uh, from from Russia's uh, the Russian side uh, in terms of the actual end game here. There is no end game here. Speaking to other people on 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 both sides this morning, and I hope to cover some of it during the week. Um, the, one, one, one of the uh, Ukrainian MPs who uh, we've had on the pod, Maria Mezenseva, was actually in Dublin during the week and uh, was talking to her. She she met with Simon Coveney and um, uh, and, and talked about Ireland's 
Ireland's position. And here's this rare moment where I talk, give you all, give you all that little bit of insight. Um, I think they were able to say that in terms of humanitarian aid, uh, pound for pound, Ireland really did step up to the plate, and it, it, they, they've um, given you know more cover. And it, particularly around the, the children's education, uh, they've been very, they've been very impressed, which is a testament to our teachers, our schools, and how welcoming the people are. I just think it's a nice thing to, to have heard and to have heard that firsthand was was lovely. Another thing that worried me this week, and I don't know if anybody has a comment, but I've been talking about this all the time. I'm like a broken record, but there's all these bills making their ways through. I think it's four a day in U.S. Um, senates and in, in state senates about all anti-LGBTQ bills. But one made its way through in Ohio, which wouldn't exactly be, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have thought of it as 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 a as a place that's going to peel back all of these rights, but effectively. Children in sports uh, declaring their uh, their their sex can be can be questioned. Children in in high schools and and, and early and early schools. Um, and I saw again. I um, I don't know if if longtime listeners remember. I spoke to Olympian. Uh, three-time gold medalist Olympian Tatiana Bartoletta um, several times on the podcast. She spoke about this uh, and hopefully we will have a a conversation on air about the, her experiences in in, in school where, whereby she actually got challenged on some of these things because she was winning. You know, she was, she was a bloody elite athlete and now she's terrified that this is actually happening. So it's, 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 it's terrifying to see that those things are happening now and those things and make no mistake that playbook is in use in in the culture wars that we're importing in the UK and in and 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 on this island, and it's really really worrying to me. So there's my there's my three minute rant out of the way, folks. I, I would love everybody to just be very mindful when when we when we hear these conversations, when we read these articles. The agenda there is to repeal. It's not just to go back after like Roe versus Wade. It, it, and, and Sean, I don't know if you read some of the judgment on why Roe versus Wade might be overturned, but one of the things was they even went back to, you know, uh, interracial marriage got a got a got a run out as well. You scratch the surface of all of I mean, if you scratch the surface of all of a lot of the discourse around um, trans worries and fear, I mean, who are the who are the who look at the profile of the athletes that are always targeted for testing, and and it always comes back to. Uh, I mean, it it filters down, but it always comes back to a racial element, and it's it's unavoidable, and it's it's a it's humiliation runs. It comes down to a, a deliberate humiliation and othering of black women, and and um, it's it's it's. I don't think any. I think if you want to dress it up in concerns about competitiveness and everything, you look, just look at who is the target of it at, at every time, uh, and it's. I, I don't think that that position is is one that's difficult to um, defend. That it, it's always based, and in the same way that uh, abortion access in America is, is is a lot of the time was couched by white evangelicals as being the safe, the, the safe, you know, to save black communities from um, <laughs> when in fact. Uh, you know, the black women are so at risk of dying from mater- the maternal safe safety rate of course impact hugely impacts black women and if you uh, I mean they're more at risk of dying during pregnancy and afterwards than white women obviously and if you look at uh, the fundamental outworkings of a restriction on, on abortion is always that ultimately people die through lack of access to it and um, if we <laughs> far from being the savior of black communities and and uh, this this will only end up in the deaths of more black women, black and minority women in in America, especially where it's. I mean, if you look at the case law side, as you said, Tony, some of it does mm. it predates um some of the some of the case law be, pre, goes back to the eighteen hundreds. Um, and what, 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 I thought it can't even. It wasn't even called America. What was the Apabellum or something? I'm, I'm pronounced. Uh, I, I, um, yeah, antebellum. Antebellum. So, yeah. 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 Um, and uh, I mean the constitutional right. I mean, in fairness, <laughs> it should never be in this position because it was. It's it's like it's like abortion up here, and it's going to be dealt with here. And that the, the UK is the Westminster is going to legislate for it, and all of the parties that um, could have done something about it will thank will be wiping the sweat from their brow. And that's across all of the political spectrum. Oh, will yeah. all be 
delighted that they don't have to deal with it anymore because uh, England has taken that messy, awful subject off of their uh, election manifestos, haven't or lack thereof. Um, but uh, you know, it's always the, the U.S. government, the success of U.S. presidents. Uh, and governments should have federalized and um, firmed up the right to access to abortion, and they haven't. And so, as much as um, Democrats would want to come out and, and defend that the this is a Republican slow walk, I mean, this activists have been saying for years that this has been uh, coming. This has been warning, 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 and there has been nothing done to shore it up from a federal law point of view. And it could, and this is what happens. Um, I remember being at whenever abortion was decriminalised. I was at a march um, in Belfast, and Bernadette McCuskey got up and spoke, and she said we were all very jubilant because it had been decriminalised through um, grassroots activism um, and court successive uh, uh, judicial reviews that we won. And she said, uh, "You can congratulate yourselves, but um, what you have, you can never spend your time." congratulating because just around the corner there'll be people who are trying to walk back your rights and Roe versus Wade is well over 40 years old and it took they took their time but they built you know a coalition of support across if you look at how they've done it they've they have really copper fastened it from an electoral level at a judicial level um and they have played the long game while people have been kind of thank thanking that they don't have to enter into this discourse this messy discourse yeah, anymore yeah. I, I remind that we we it's like we win on twitter harry but they but they're winning in in in, in the in the courts you know they're doing it properly <laughs> well yeah I, I mean you know i i i don't think to be fair i don't think anyone who takes this stuff seriously views twitter as being the the battleground to be, to be completely fair now tony but mm-hmm. i i do think what what sean is saying is is yeah, like is, is absolutely right. And like it's it's weird because you have now we're seeing the construction of like essentially a reactionary minority that slowly gain control over a variety of different apparatuses, often at a very low level uh in America, to then use those to as, as you rightly put it, sort of copper fastness, make this uh done there. And I think it's interesting now when you look at it, and it worries me a bit because yeah, we obviously are all able to laugh at like, you know. Oh, look at these mad, you know, British turfs coming over here spewing absolute nonsense. But they're not the people we need to worry about at the end of the day. The people who come and make fools themselves on their little internet videos aren't the people who are actually going to cause problems. It's what's happening at low levels. It's what's happening building up in communities, that kind of sort of reactionary organizing. And it doesn't need to be, as we've seen in America, it doesn't need to be a majority of people. Um, The vast majority of Americans do not believe that Roe v. Wade should be uh, repealed, do not believe that abortion should be heavily restricted, but it's still happening against the will of that. And what you look at, and this is going to sound like a really weird tangent, but you you saw that thing with um, with Charlie Flanagan where he put out that article uh, by your man defending Owen Harris, right? If you look into the group that publishes the magazine that carried that article, there are a bunch of um, essentially like Trikath fundamentalists and neo European neo-fascists. And then if you look at the links between those organizations and their national conservative organization, the Edmund Burke Foundation, I know I'm sounding absolute tinfoil no, no, stuff no, no, here, no. but all of this is like very easily, very easily found. Look, look at these people's names. And then these are all tied to those same right-wing American funding sources and power nexuses that were responsible for bringing this change into America. And we are very fortunate in a way that the, a lot of these people are really not very good at talking to people um, and uh, it's difficult to take them seriously but the problem is it's very easy to not take them seriously until it becomes serious and we have to look at these things in the next sense like you know it's like oh this td is putting out this article that's defending somebody who was engaging in online harassment and abuse that's bad but then you look at why is this article being written what is the broader thrust behind the culture war and conversation that's being put forward beyond this singular point and then it becomes very very sinister uh, well, it was already sinister, but extremely sinister that a TD is promulgating that source and those type of people and those involved in the national conservative uh, movement and those who have those ties to those things in America. And you wonder how quick is it that we get somebody captured who, say, unlike Sharon Cohen or Matthew McGrath, isn't a bit of a, you know, a ha ha, sure, sure, look at them, aren't they a bit, you know, whatever. But there are people who might be considered more seriously, and I said that in inverted commas, by the mainstream, again, in inverted commas. How long is it before one of them starts picking up those talking points? How long is it before we see these things becoming increasingly mainstreamed? And that's what we need to be looking for. Um, and it worries me that we're not. And I think we're bad at identifying that. 
and that kind of becomes concerning. I I, I always um, see this is why we have Harry on the big brain in there uh, uh, bouncing around. But but I will also say that you know like when you wa- when you watch it in those terms and you, you see something like Charlie Flanagan making that comment and you understand you know this was a sitting minister, a government minister, and he's he's literally normalizing this this which was effectively systematic systematic abuse uh misogynistic abuse of of a, of a female journalist as well as many other things you know and that story has flip-flopped and i know it's going to see its way through the courts but um you know you have to put it's been a shitty week we see what like i don't i don't want to get into depp and uh, depp and amber heard but when you see that judgment and you see how these things come i it, it, it took them about a week to say me too has gone too far it's taken them a few years to say we're going to destroy me too <laughs> as a as 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 a thing and and that's that's definitely something that that is coming up look i i'm i'm conscious of time i i, I want to wrap but i want to just just give you a heads up on what's coming this week i'm actually talking to someone in denmark tomorrow uh back to portugal with our friend joe pina on tuesday and there's a the runoff in colombia has been very interesting i don't know if anybody's been paying attention there's potentially there's a a, a right-wing trump-like figure and, and an actual potentially a left-wing figure coming in in the end of it and and my friend lays in um from the global uh, alliance for tax justice is getting us someone from colombia to talk about what's the what's happening there on the ground it would be fascinating to see it, it, in in the context of of what 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 we still call the developing world even though that 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 is completely not true uh what's happening in colombia so we're talking about that as well this week all of that's coming up uh shamim have you anything coming or you have to finish sunday is your day you have to get your article in it's it is indeed um I have something that I'm not going to mention because I'm afraid I'm going to jinx it. Somebody else picks it up or something. Um, but, but I have something else. I have something about, uh, you know, the way doctors, they said over giving a sample to doctors. So I'm, I'm looking at how they're still excluding new doctors and they're giving them another stamp uh, and that is to facilitate the HSC who refuses to give stable contracts to doctors. Yeah, and and I think it was pointed out that the amount of um, doctors and nurses that have uh, got applied for Australian visas this uh, last few weeks has hit over four hundred, I believe. So it's uh, it's 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 not a great sign. Uh, I want to just thank my panelists, Shauna, Shamim, and Harry, for joining us today. Uh, thanks to you for listening. Thanks to the people who are in the comments. I know Oshin, you've been putting in a lot of stuff, and Harry's been taking notes. I've been watching you. <laughs> I've been watching the pen go. So thank you so much, folks. Uh, and we we will leave it there for today. Uh, th- thanks for listening. And as I said, back uh, back very very soon. <laughs>